10, verse 1. Jesus is the good shepherd. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognise his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Well done. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Matthew. I just want to start today by uh, a bit of confession. I want to confess one of my great pet peeves in life to you all. Nothing aggravates me more than when it's time to put on some music in the car or at a social gathering or now in our kitchen with my little boy with Alexa and the person who fires up Spotify selects a track, listens to the first 15 seconds and skips to another one and listens to another 30 seconds and skips to another one and listens to 15 seconds and skips to another one. This drives me insane. Because when it comes to music, I've never been a skipping guy. I've never been a singles guy. I'm not actually even a playlist guy. I don't get how songs are blowing up on TikTok right now. That is a very foreign concept to me. Because I'm an album guy. Come on. I am an album guy. I mean, I have favorite songs for sure. I definitely have some favorite hits. There's songs that move me. There's songs that I love the arrangements of. There's lyrics and there's vibe. But when it comes to music, it's not just some lone song that I rave about. It's albums, you know, whether it's Springsteen's Nebraska or whether it's Pup's Morbid Stuff or whether it's Jeff Rosenstock's Worry whether it's Kiakaha from Link or Tarotini is one of the best albums of worship from this land. Whether it's Lagwagons, Let's Talk About Feelings as road trips with my friends going from skate park to skate park when I was 17 on my restricted license and I should not have been driving them at the time. Whether it's more recently Fleet Fox's Shore, which is a stunning album, or whether it's Mumford & Sons' Wilder Mind and Delta, I'm more of the electric vibe guy. Sorry to those of you who like the waistcoats and the folk, but that was not my favorite. I liked it when they went electric. Whether it's an entire Death Cab for Cutie discography, or whether it's anything that Justin Vernon has touched, 
or whether it's all six of the American recordings by Johnny Cash or produced by Rick Rubin. I love albums. My record collection is not just some collection of some favorite songs. It is a collection of my favorite albums. You know, to me, music is not just one or two good songs or a track or a single or an intro. It is this whole collection of songs bound up into a, un- a unified whole. It's the whole thing from start to end. It's connected. It's the artwork. It's the tangible holding of it with vinyl. It's the stories from the studio of how they made the sounds. It's the stories of how the songs got written and on the kind of day it was. I love a good album. I love the whole thing. Can I get an amen? Down with TikTok. Down, no, sorry. (laughs) I just don't get it. I don't get how a song blows up on TikTok. It's foreign to me. I love the whole thing. Because, why do I say this? Because in experiencing music, there is a big difference in skimming the first 30 seconds of something, maybe in a playlist, or maybe online, compared with sitting back, being immersed, enjoying and beholding the creativity and the journey of an entire album in all of its brilliance and in all of its beauty. Music is best experienced not just by skimming some segmented pieces, but by being swept up into it wholly as an experience to be moved and enjoyed from start to finish. Now, today we have heard those stunning and compelling words from Jesus, stating why he came, stating the purpose. Said this I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Uh, In the Greek, these are two words put together it's parisos zoe. Parisos Zoe. And in different translations, they've uh, done the work of translating it into different ways. Parisos Zoe in the ESV is more and abundantly. Uh, NIV, it's full. It's a full life. Uh, And the NLT, which I believe Matt read read from today, it's rich and satisfied, a rich and satisfied life. Uh, And in Eugene Peterson's um, The Message, he says, it's a real and eternal, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. This parisos Zoe is trying to convey that Jesus came with a purpose to give us a vision of life as it was meant to be. And the summary of all of those words, the translators are all kind of using different ideas, they're different facets, but essentially what the point is, is that Jesus came to give us a whole vision of life. Something more holistic, something beyond what we're experiencing now, something more, but as it is meant to be, shalom enacted, whole. Jesus says, I've come like the good shepherd and I lead you towards something good for you. And if you come through me and if you come by my way, the outcome of that is that you will experience this parisos zoe, this full, abundant, richly satisfied life. Jesus is not offering some fragment. He's not offering some isolated piece detached and away from the rest. He's not elevating just one idea. He wants to offer us this holistic, beautiful, connected and complete holistic life of love. A life with God, a life with ourselves, a life with the world and a life with each other. What Jesus is offering 
please pay attention. He is stating here why he has come. This is one of the big manifestos of Jesus sitting in those, in those words. I have come that you may experience a holy life. Note the spelling for those who are listening on the podcast. You won't know what I've done here, but it's tricky. It's holy spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, holistic, a bigger, round, more generous idea of life. Um, I heard a friend, my friend Sam Harvey, he was preaching recently and I heard him say this, whenever we are dealing with Jesus, we have to realize two things. Number one, everything is said and done in love. And number two, everything said and done is an invitation to the new life in him. And I think Sam is right. Everything Jesus said and did was motivated by love. Love was the motive. I mean, he, he is the incarnation of God after all, and God is love. So he is incarnate love. And everything said and done by Jesus was a call to live life in a new way. Again, Jesus as God incarnate, he, he wants to give us a new vision, a, a new set of metrics, a new reality of life lived. And so if Jesus is motivated by love, and offering us this new life, well then, what actually is this new life that he is offering? Like, how can we start to metric it up and categorize it and say, these are the things that he is giving us? Well, I just want to start by sketching up, by looking at the life of Christ with a bit of a portrait. So, so just, just hold on to your hats here. This is a bit of a, um, a long paragraph here, but this is, this is the portrait of the life of Jesus, okay? And I've done this in two ways, the things that he showed us and the things that he taught, okay? So what he showed us and what he taught. So when Jesus, uh, we see Jesus praying and then we hear his teachings on the life of intimacy with God. Uh, we see Jesus battling temptation and Satan in the wilderness and we listen to his teaching on the importance of a pure Heart. We see Jesus ministering in great power and we listen to his teachings on the comfort, the wisdom and the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus helping the sick and the needy and we listen to his teaching on the importance of caring for our neighbor. We see Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and we listen to him reading the scriptures and we see Jesus integrating sacred and secular things while observing the traditions and the ceremonies of his Faith. It's a pretty big snapshot, so I just wanted to categorize it down a little bit. So here's a, here's a few bullet points. In Jesus, let's, let's, let's just whittle it down. It's getting a bit smaller here. Number one, in Jesus' life, we see devotion to God, a life of prayer. Number two, in the life of Jesus, we see this virtue in thought, word, and action. It's, it's a life of consecration. It's a holy life. Uh, number three, there's empowerment by the Spirit. And there's this ministry and ministering in the power of that spirit. Number four, there's compassion towards all people. Number five, there's this proclamation of the good news and the gospel and a life in line with the scriptures. And then number six, there's harmony between faith and work, uniting the physical and the spiritual. I'm going to click it down one more thing, all right? So if you are still losing me, hopefully this is the simplest I can put it. In summarizing the life of Jesus, we see six things in his life shown and taught. Here they are. A prayer-filled life. A consecrated life. A spirit-empowered life. A compassionate life. A word-anchored life. An incarnational 
life. Can I have an amen? And so, in these six things we see in in action and in teaching the life of Jesus. Jesus displayed all of these things and he displayed them like the facets of a diamond as the beautiful and rich, abundant life of his modeling and his teaching. You know, thinking of this life with the analogy of a diamond is fitting because Jesus is offering something here that's valuable and something that is beautiful. The life that Jesus lived is that. It's precious. And so when Jesus is speaking of offering us this parisos zoe, this abundant, full, better than we can imagine life, this is it. It's the value of a diamond. It's not something to kind of be scoffed at. It's actually something important and to be noticed and to, be, and to behold. And in it, it's this multi-dimensional picture. Life with God, life with each other. And it's these six things being integrated to make up the whole. This is the whole vision. All right, so why are we looking at this? Why, and why are we doing a series on this? Why, why does this matter? Why does this matter? It matters because the life of the church for 2,000 years has been the attempt to live in that vision. She has been wrestling with certain dimensions all her life. At times, some more than others. And God's Spirit has always been at work drawing her back, balancing out and correcting where one thing is being elevated too much or one thing has been forgotten. You know, if we look through the church history story, we will see moments of renewal and moments of resurrection bursting forward into the church's story. And it's always been around some of those things missing or not being done correctly. The great moves of God and his church have always been calls back to those six ways of life that I just showed you. The portrait that Jesus gave. The church has been making this stuff up. It's been living as a witness to her rabbi, doing what he did, and enacting that into the future with her own flesh and blood, us. But the honest truth is, we need another renewal. Because right now, our experience of Christendom is not congruent with this beautiful and balanced, holistic vision that Jesus offers. You know, the last several years have only shown further just how segmented we, the church, have become. There's a tribalism that has caught root. There's an us versus them in the body of Christ. I'm seeing a few nods around the room now. You know, it's the increased tribal politicization of Christianity. The church has gone right or left, just like our politics. And we've tied ourselves to those ideas instead of the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is a different way altogether. But yet we've found our value, we've found our responses and political ideas. You know, and as a result, 
we've had various things happening over the last couple of years in particular, you know, and the division of the church over how to respond to COVID-19, for example. You know, globally and nationally, and even just here in this church, people have been divided over whether the church should react sensibly or compassionately, whether the church should fight for their right to gather, or whether they should distance themselves and, and have distance with people. And as COVID progressed, we had people that were divided, and I say we as in the global church, okay, this is big picture stuff here, we the church, People have been divided over whether the church should use masks or not use masks, whether we should sing or not sing, whether we should use a vaccine passport or not use a vaccine passport, whether we should go online or whether we shouldn't go online, whether we should go to the protest or whether we shouldn't go to the protest. The divisions in the church have reacted in segments over cultural big topics, hot topics, big ideas, big things for the moment, and political conversations. Topics like Black Lives Matter, or critical race theory, or what about the conversion therapy bill of last year, or even just this week, Christians and pastors in America who want to keep their guns, versus pastors and Christians in America who want to beat their guns into plowshares. Or here in Aotearoa, our own inability to handle titiriti o waitangi with honour and care in the church let alone outside of it. And right now, people are divided over whether the church is being persecuted. David Farrier and his blogs and the media are out to get us. Or maybe there's just our systems and our unhealthy practices actually showing what they were going to make. And to be honest, the biggest division, the biggest segmentation that's currently lurking in the church is that people are just divided right now as to whether we even need this or not whether it's just a personal conviction or it's grouped around people's in their conversation. Now let me just say this, in all of that scope there, in all of those pictures there, there's often just a lot of really good people with a lot of really good things to say about those ideas. Good people, good ideas, good motives. There's even scriptures to back up all of those things. And those divisions, are, there's, there's pretty convincing arguments and what I want to do today is I, I don't want to try and win over you. I don't want to say, well, here's my answer to all of those things. But what I do want to show you is that the point is we are, we are being driven into this segmented, segmented existence. There's this lack of the congruence in the church to practice the holistic vision of Jesus. And instead, we've got this experience at the moment of segments. Today, I want to just simply and clearly say this is why we're doing this series. It's because church, the divisive work of segmentation has struck. The divisive work of segmentation has struck. Rather than the global church full of people who are living in Jesus' vision for a full and whole life, she is in camps. She is in tribes. She is in segments. She's in pieces and she's falling apart. And in this segmented existence, in this falling apart, this is where people get hurt. People are getting hurt. And so to explain a little bit of that today, I want to share my own story of when the segments struck for me. Uh, last year, 
I experienced the pain of the segmentation that we're all living in several times, actually, firsthand. I could choose from a couple of doozies of stories here today. But, but, but I want to share a moment from last year that I think is poignant to say out loud because we didn't get to say anything about it at the time. Late last year, our nation was trying to handle uh, a political moment around conversion therapy. And if you remind, if you were there, you, you'll know that that was also a moment that the church was in lockdown. It's pretty hard to have a nuanced and caring conversation about something with one email. It's incredibly hard. And along with that constraint of the communication pathway, I was growing incredibly frustrated. Because on Facebook and online, all I could see being presented was an extreme right and an extreme left. All I could see was these two polar opposites. And there was nothing in the middle. There was nothing being said in the middle that was nuanced and hopefully a little bit more balanced. And so, when we sent out our church-wide email about how we were holding that moment as a community... I also tried to practice what I was preaching and I tried to put up on Facebook a post. A post that expressed this more holistic and balanced view, hopefully. I felt a conviction to try and place an answer, not on the ends, but somewhere in this middle. And actually it turned out to be a deeply pastoral moment for me as I prayed and wrestled with the tension of being compassionate, but also holding the scriptures as I wrestled with about a decade-long journey of wrestling with this topic theologically, of trying to interpret our current cultural tribal cultures and the balance of this whole thing of orthodox Christianity meeting progressive Christianity. And as I held all of it, it took me a week to write those words. Again, I, I had to write. I had to post because this was gone. This is my context. I love this context. Give me this any day. Being with you, talking. You can see my face. I can use my words. I can feel the moment and speak into it. And here we were writing something and sending it out. But I felt there was nothing being said in the middle, so I needed to post something. So I tried to post this thing and I put it up on Facebook. I clicked post and I held my breath. And then what ensued was the single hardest week of my life. You know, before I share any further on this little story today, I'm not here today to say, you know, whether you agree with me or not, or whether I was right or whether I was wrong. That's not the purpose of why I'm sharing this story. What I want to point out to you, what I want to point out to you is what it's like when the segments flare up. You know, there was this initial positive feedback to my post, comments that were like, kia kaha, well done, stuff like that. But then it turned pretty quickly about an hour in and I knew I was in trouble when a comment showed up on my Facebook post saying, this cis male has no right to say what he's saying. He needs to sit down and shut the fuck up. And then other comments started to pour in along the same line. And the common angle being sent to me, paraphrased, was this. Dan, Jesus was compassionate. He was all about a welcome for everybody. He wouldn't put a boundary in front of anybody. You're putting boundaries in front of people. You're not letting people be themselves. This isn't the compassionate way of Jesus at all. 
And to those people who would send me those messages, I would try to write back or I would try to call them if they were from here in this church. And I would say something like, I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. That is the compassionate way of Jesus. That is what he did. I completely agree with you. But there's also a whole heap of other things we have to hold on the conversation. There's this higher sexual ethic in the Sermon on the Mount. What are you doing with that? Come on, let's figure it out. Let's try. Let's talk about this. Let's work this out. In a way, what I realized I was trying to say to them was, there's more segments to this. It's not just as easy as being in one camp. <laughs> the other messages I get, these were my favorite, were from great Christian people who'd send me a bunch of Bible verses and tell me what they thought that God thought about gay people. And one person accused me of being a left-leaning softy and that I actually needed to read my Bible. And again, another message, another call, Another amount of pastoral care. I've wrestled with this. I have been in every scripture of this. But you have to realize Jesus was compassionate too. You have to balance this out. Again, another segment, another angle of attack. And another kind message would arrive. Hey Dan, I'm praying for you. Cool. (laughs) I'm grateful for that. But what else? Will you show up? Will you be here with me in this? And what's interesting to me is nearly every message or comment had a classic opening line. It was two words. The two words were, for me, dot, 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 dot. You know, for me, it's all about this. For me, it's all about that. And I understand that for me is a great perspective line to say this is my perspective and that's always a gift and that's always important. But what it's like when you're on the other side of the segmentation is that for me, becomes the mantra of that tribe. And so that week ended with me having called my supervisor every day, sometimes twice a day, and having him put my soul back together over conversations on the phone. I had pastoral friends who talked me out of not resigning. It felt like a week where I had taken lots and lots and lots of hits. And nearly all of them were from Christians. I felt exhausted. I had tried to present something that was considered and balanced and holistic and in the center. And the edges had taken me out for it. And who had dished out the most notable punches? People of the church. And it's because of that segmentation. It's because of that that we want to do this series. I did learn something in that moment. I learned what it was like to be on the other side of the segments. And I made a conviction in my heart. I prayed a prayer. I wrote it in my journal. When we are back as a church, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. Again, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with what I've just told you as my reason for that story. You can have a different opinion. That's okay. But let's not be segmented about it. Because segments unhealthily taken to isolated extremes often lead to arguments, division, factions, and splits. They lead to people getting hurt. They lead to people disappearing. They lead to people leaving. And actually, most of the people who leave or disappear or walk away only leave to then solidify themselves in their segmented view anyway with the people like them. 
in being in a community of covenant, a church, and being in a community where we've covenanted to relationship and being together, what we are committing to is a life walked in the way of Jesus where we are called to hold those key segments together humbly and carefully in love and in unity as a whole picture where we, where we ask, are we getting this right, do you think? Have we left something out, do you think? Am I aware of the other pieces in play? Who is missing? Who's getting hurt? And ultimately, are we becoming more like Christ? This holistic and beautiful vision that he has for us. That, that is what's at the core of the series. And that is at the core of what I'm trying to ask today. Are we doing that? Are we walking towards wholeness? Let's just go back to Jesus for a second. And I just want to show you how he critiques some splits. These are not all six of them. It's just for the sake of time. It's just a couple that I grabbed. But here's, here's Jesus working with the segments. So there's this moment where he has this woe to the Pharisees. You remember that bit? Woe to you Pharisees for you heap these demands upon the people. But you, you know, you're straining a gnat. You know, all these pictures of like, you are so, you're trying to be so holy. But you're just putting demands on people. This moment was this moment where they were so careful to have their consecrated looking lives, but they had no compassion for anybody. Or what about that moment when he turns over the tables? We love that moment, eh? Like, yeah, turn the tables over, Jesus. Show them what, yeah, get angry, get activism going. You know? The temple was, but it was because the temple was no longer this house of prayer that it was meant to be. It was meant to be a house of prayer and it become a marketplace. So he turned it over and he said, reset it back to what this was meant to be. Or what about when the disciples, when they tried to remove that demon from that person and um, they couldn't and they come to Jesus and they've failed and Jesus said, oh man, this demon needs prayer and fasting. You know, they, they could copy a model of Jesus. They could do it the way he showed them to do it. But at the end of the day, they didn't actually exercise by the power of the spirit that Jesus had told them to operate out of. Or just lastly, just as a last little snapshot, you know, the woman at the well in John 4, you know, the woman at the well who, who is, you know, compassionately enfolded by Jesus in such a fantastic way that should make our jaws at the floor when we realize what's going on in that story. Jesus breaking so many boundaries and rules. And then he says to her, you know, go and sin no more. You've encountered compassion, but go and be holy. Go and be consecrated. You know, just to summarize... You know, yes, be holy, but also be compassionate or your holiness is for nothing. You know, be together and gathered, but become a prayer-filled people in this space, not just a social club. You know, don't just lean on your own understanding, but operate in the power of the Spirit. Be mercifully forgiven and received by God and then go live that holy way into the life, into life incarnationally. The word that shouldn't be in there. Sorry about that. You know, Jesus calls people from their segments he calls them into a new vision. Come, see it from over here. You're seeing it from there? Come and see it from here. He calls them, repent, turn from your segmented perspective. Come, see a bigger vision. Jesus calls people to leave this one-dimensional position and instead to come and to learn to work the angles. Now, what I mean by work the angles is uh, from this Eugene Peterson book on pastoral integrity. And in it, what he says is he says that the pastor is meant to be three things. A person who prays, a person who teaches the scriptures, and a person who gives spiritual direction. 
And you're not meant to just nail one line. A pastor needs to hold all three. And then he uses the idea of trigonometry and he says you will forever be in this balancing act of working angles. Working angles. You'll forever be putting a little bit more of this over here and then over here a little bit less of that. Oh, and now over here, a bit more of that one. Open that angle up and then shut this one down a little bit more. It's forever going to be this thing of working angles. And so that analogy is why our series graphic has got this little shape on it. A series graphic here is to remind us of the invitation from Jesus into his life and that we are to work the angles, that we are to become people who work in and open up in areas we need to open up. And we need to expand in areas where we need to let the angle get a bit wider and breathe a little bit longer. You know, this is, this is this image here where Jesus says, come and follow me and I'll show you how to do this. We must realize we've been invited to follow him into this holistic picture of life, this balanced and beautiful vision of life. This is the call to discipleship. It's to follow Jesus' leading and learning how to become more and more of these things, bit by bit by bit by bit, replicated into our life. We are to become people who learn to work the angles. And so to wholly follow Christ, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, to wholly follow Christ, we too must learn to work into our lives how to become all of those six facets. And we want to explore following this holy life of Jesus and seeing it displayed for us to work it out into the world in real time with him. Now, in this reset moment, we find ourselves from the last couple of years, we've been using the idea of we're moving from disorder to reorder. It's been a disordering couple of years, but we want to ride ourselves towards reorder. And I think that this vision of moving towards these six things is a way of saying, let our lives be reordered into the likeness of Christ. We're doing this series as a call to turn from our segmented ways. We're doing this series as a call to repent of standing in certain camps. We're doing this series as a call that that you may see a beautiful and balanced life of yourself with God. We're doing this series that you may become mature and that that we may become united people, a mature church, and doing the things of Christ's way together. And we're doing this series because we think it's attainable. We think it's possible. And we're doing this series because we think the Spirit is calling us to step into these spaces and that He will empower us to do so. And we're doing this series because ultimately we want to wholly follow Christ. And so that is our series. A few notes on the beginning of this journey. Firstly, we're going to explore each of the facets of life, those six different facets, for about a month each. So we're going to be doing a couple more weeks of introduction. We've got two more weeks to go. Uh, Alicia's going to be doing next week, and Natalie's going to be doing the week after. We're going to just frame up a little bit more about what it is to follow Jesus that he would change us. Okay, so we're going to think about that world together. And then we're going to start working our way around some of those lives. And we're going to start with the spirit-empowered life. So in three weeks' time, 
sermon number one of the Spirit-Empowered Life will be on the ticket. We're going to be doing this through till Advent. Advent's just before Christmas. So this is our series for the rest of the year. And I would recommend two books to you if you want to go a little deeper. The first recommended reading is on the left. It's a devotional book. It's called The Reservoir. It's on Kindle. It's put out by Renovare. And it uh, is a terrific book that walks through these same six things I've just spoken you through. Uh, I didn't make this up. It comes from rich traditions of, of spiritual formation and teaching in the church. And I would just encourage you, grab that, grab that devotional and just start working your way through it in your own time. Because it is a journey through each of those six different forms of life. And if you're a little bit more of a reader and a little bit more of a um, theology geek or you want to just go a little bit deeper, on the right is a book by Richard Foster. The book is called Streams of Living Water. And in that, it actually explores the six streams of the church throughout church history. And it frames the exact same things I've just said about um, the lives of our, our Christian life. It just frames them up within the portrait of the moves of the church. Okay? So the prayer-filled life, well, that's actually the monastic movement. You know, well, the monastic movement was the stream of the church, moving things towards a more contemplative life and what they did. So you could read about that and so on and so on. So I just recommend them. They're two great books. And by the way, you know, if, you're, um, if you're here today and you're wanting to quickly jot anything down and you missed it, we always put the slides up under the talks on the website. So if you've missed a slide or anything like that, you can always head to the website and grab the slides. I'm nearly done. Okay, I'm going to finish. Here we go. That's the intro to the series over. Okay, we're moving from being segmented people to being holy people following Jesus. Um, I'm nearly done. I want to just say two things to finish us up today before we come to the table together. Firstly, let's rejoice in what we have so far. You know, in this room are all six segments. In the body, are all six pieces. Let's just rejoice it when we see it happening. Let's encourage it. Let's bless it. Let's fan it into flame. Let's speak more into those things. When we see someone stepping into a deeply spirit-empowered moment, we should be cheering them on. And when we hear people say, I get out on Monday and I go and I feed the hungriest of people in our city, we should be cheering them on. We should just be leaning in and saying, yeah, more of that. Let's encourage it, let's bless it, let's fan it into flame together. But my second pastoral note is just this. Let's also be up for growing and let's be up for learning to grow in this stuff and work the angles of what we don't yet have. So if there's areas on that picture that are like, that one's foreign to me, that one is foreign to me, make a small convicting moment, uh, not convicting moment, uh, um, what's the word I'm trying to find there? Um, a decision, a you know, like an intentional decision today that says, I will be up for growing in that uncomfortable area when that one comes up. When that one comes up, I know that one's hard for me but I'm going to lean in. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to lean in. I know that that one feels foreign to me, but I'm going to lean in. And I wonder what God might do with that as you do that, as we learn to work the angles together, as we learn to open up and become a more broadly shaped person by His grace. 
And so I want to stand, I invite you to stand, it too. And I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table this morning as our finishing piece. And the reason that coming to the table is just such a beautiful finish today for us is because yet again we come to the space that we all need, the merciful invitation of God, His table laid out for us, His gift for us, a meal to remind ourselves of the new thing He is doing with us, each of us. He gives us a new way to be and He gives us a way to do it. He does not leave us unequipped. And so Jesus said, as he broke the bread, that this is his body being broken, a reminder that it's him who is the way. And he took the wine and he blessed it and he said, drink this to remind yourself of the new covenant, the new thing I'm doing. You know, and I just wonder today as I've been sitting in this moment waiting for Sunday and waiting for this, this time of coming to the table, I just wonder if afresh we need to realize that at the center of this table is the Christ calling each of you with that killer line that we started with. I have come that you may experience life and life paresis zoe. Life abundant, rich, full, filled right up, satisfying and holy. That's at the core of this table. So come and be nourished by the Christ who wants to give us that life. And may we find as we eat a common grace together that we are all in this together by his mercy, that he is the one who binds us, loves us, and carries us along. And so I want to invite you to come. This table is not the table of the church, but of Jesus Christ. And it is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little you who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time or ever before. You who have tried to follow Jesus and all of us who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, not because the church invites you. It is Christ who invites you to be known and to be fed here. So come. Come and take the communion elements, these sacraments today, these physical symbols to remind you of a spiritual truth. Hold them. I'm going to take it all together once everyone's come to the table. Come, I invite you.